Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 21. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, TV, radio, and today, promoting. Alfie Nooks runs the We Are Funny Project, which is a series of, at the moment, two clubs in London, which are some of the most consistently attended by both audiences and performers in the capital. We talk extensively about how he's managed to cultivate a community around a club rather than it just feeling like an us and them. So he kind of has a very hands-on approach with how he deals with acts and how he deals with audience members and how he's managed to sort of cultivate this, yeah, it's just a community-led project. And it's interesting the way he sees it as a project rather than as a sort of booking club thing that you might imagine other clubs do where it's the promoter and the acts are separate, whereas... He, he gets the acts involved in things and he also uh, comes up with ideas for nights and contacts acts to commission shows that are very much themed around different ideas. It's a really interesting idea, it's a really interesting concept and obviously it's working um, because it's always very highly attended and as he mentions, you know, often people who are rocking up for a walk-on spot are waiting outside the venue for a couple of hours before it starts. So it's it's a very interesting case study, especially as it's an open mic. It's not a paid club at the moment. Uh, as of today, as you're going to hear later on in the podcast, a little bit of a spoiler here, he is crowdfunding for a new comedy club venue, dedicated space around basically taking the project up a level, as he puts it. Um, it's a really interesting way of doing it. I've not heard, and I've worked in social media for half a decade, of anyone crowdfunding a purpose-built comedy club like this. I think it's going to be really interesting. The crowdfunding launches today, in fact, and there is links if you want to sponsor him or you want to help this project happen in uh, on the website, which is simoncane.co.uk forward slash Ask the Industry Podcast, as well as in the show notes uh, on that website, as well as in the pod notes on the podcast player of your choice. So if you want to check out how that's doing, have a look. It's open for the next 30 days. So if you're listening to this after the next 30 days, it might have happened. <laughs> um, I can't tell you for sure yet because I can't see into the future. But if it is a thing, this is the history of how it got to that stage. If it isn't a thing yet or it's still in the process of crowdfunding, 
this is how it got to this point. So it's quite. I think this is quite an interesting um, case study. And I hope loads of you get loads out of it. He also talks extensively about his background in TV and film and how he got to be a promoter and got to want to do this more and obviously how his family and his personal life has impacted on his choice of decision to be a promoter rather than a person who gets sent overseas to work on TV shows. So he's a really interesting guy. Um, I, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Um, if you would like to follow along, as I said, the show notes are on the website. It's got timestamps for all the different questions that I'm asking in this, as well as links to everything, including his crowdfunding. While we're on crowdfunding, shout out to my new patron, Anthony. He's joined the band of now six patrons who are funding the podcast on a regular basis. If you would like to join them and get your name shouted out on the podcast, please do go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com forward slash rc industry podcast you can donate as little as one dollar which gets me about 80p or uh, like a per episode up to whatever you want to donate it's absolutely fine by me if you just want to donate a dollar don't feel like it's too small or whatever because it is all helpful and enough people donating a dollar means that there is a budget there for each episode so feel free to do that if you don't want to do that we're 21 episodes in now if you want to just do a one-off payment and you want to give me know a pound per episode that has gone out if you want to bung me 20 21 quid it's 20 it's 21st episode 20 quid whatever you want to throw me feel free that'd be really useful and helpful as well um if you can't afford to do it don't worry about it you, here are some non-payment related ways you can support the podcast review it in itunes genuinely really helps join the facebook group take part in discussions in there really useful because everyone's sort of helping each other out and I'm loving loving the community spirit I think it's the reason why me and Alfie got on so well in this conversation because we both very specifically believe in community and building stuff from a grassroots level using people so it's great that people are joining that group please do it's on Facebook it's called RC Industry Podcast and uh, if you can also share the links from the website and from the iTunes tag me in it so that I can say thank you wherever you do it I will try and find it and I will try and thank you for taking part in expanding the audience for this podcast that's pretty much everything I needed to say so without any more delays this is Alfie Nux Jack Burton Big Trouble in Little China 1986 <laughs> try and get in as many film <laughs> I feel like that would be fun so it's called We Are Funny Project and we talked about before how that's like an interesting way of describing it because most people call themselves a club rather than a project What's the reasoning behind that? Uh, we're a project because it's something that I've always fully intended to be a rolling, expanding um, project. It's something that's more than just a club. We don't just offer open mic, we offer workshops, and I've got some rather grand ambitions for what we can do in the future. So the starting point being open mic, which I truly love and I'm wholly invested in, but the project will expand to offer as many opportunities for as many people associated with comedy as possible. It really is about opportunities. Okay, and at the moment it's uh, two open mic clubs? At the moment, at the moment that we are Funny Project, uh, being uh, in May 2015, we run six nights a week. We run four nights a week at Dirty Dicks, uh, practically opposite Liverpool Street Station. And then we've got two nights a week running at the Star and Garter in Putney. And basically what we have is uh, nothing but new act, new material, open mic nights. 
though, of course, some of the material is not new uh, amongst those acts on Mondays and Tuesdays. Uh, in this period now, we're doing um, a lot of Edinburgh previews as a season. We've got some really wonderful acts coming up. We've just had Pat Monaghan and Mark Dolan and Hal Cruttenden here, uh, Bridget Christie, Richard Herring, Marcus Brickstock and more are coming down. And I've, I'm really thrilled with the way I've been able to book this because I've, I've taken it on kind of three points of who I wanted to book and who I could book. So one is uh, a notion of bringing through some of the very best of the young acts coming through, so I'm, uh, obviously really thrilled to have like James Acaster and James Farmer and Dane Baptiste for example as part of the series and then some of the very best club comics Alex Edelman of course who won the mm. Edinburgh Award last year with us and then some of the very best club comics in the country who don't really maybe have that TV exposure but they are crushing comics like Phil Nickel and Pete Johansson uh, Pat Monaghan and of course he's had TV stuff and then uh, of course we want the crushing comics who have got you know fame and television exposure such as Marcus Brigstock and Richard Herring and Hal Cruttenden so we've got this wonderful season happening now and many of my Wednesday and Thursday nights are, are handed over to those at Dirty Dicks, which is our main base. Um, but also the project being a project, the Wearfunny project being a project, we have developed, I think we're up to about 11, maybe 12 different formats of show now. And this is something that I take great pride in, is forcing and or requiring acts to generate new material. So one of our formats is the Wearfunny Challenge show. And we've done, I think, 13 or 14 of these. And the way that works is I'll approach... 16 acts, some pro, some semi-pro, some of my, uh, some of the best or more interesting open micers. They're not necessarily the same thing. And then I, com- I get them to commit to appearing on my stage on a given night on the understanding two weeks before the show I will tell them what the topic for that show is and then they're all required to write five brand new minutes to that theme and then they all come together and perform that brand new material together on the same night. And in the past we've had things like uh, Worst Job Ever, Bad Boss, Drugs, My Favourite World Cup, sometimes we make it thematic sometimes it's a, a random one um so the idea is to to give a platform to uh as much platform as much stage time to the acts as possible but also give them formats where they can try out stuff for the first time um stretch their wings a little bit you know the sexy show that was 16 acts eight male eight female but they all cross-dress so the ladies are as men and the men are as ladies uh, not quite in a Shakespearean fashion mm. and they then choose a type of their opposite gender in real life so the ladies might choose to be white van man or creepy old guy or wise professorial type um, and then they get to play a character role but cross-gendering as well and that's just fun I mean there's no way that show wasn't going to be fun and some of the acts knocked it out of the park just brilliant so we've got these we've got hecklers we've got the variety show which is as it says on the tin that might have magic in it we usually kick off with a dance number um, drag queens all this kind of thing Always given a theme. We've had London Town. I do this show with that show's producer, Siobhan Dodd. She's the uh, the princess behind that show. Uh, there could be Land in Town. We've had science fiction, funky, funky disco. And it's a part fancy dress party, part variety show, part stand-up comedy show. So these Wednesdays and Thursdays are often turned over to one of these other formatted shows. And often on the Thursdays, I've uh, in- implemented a night called We Are Funny Tens. And originally the idea was, instead of it being maybe 14 or 16 or 18 open mic doing fives, it would be 10 10 minute spots to provide progression going through. But the fact was, the standard just wasn't really high enough, um, if I'm honest. Um, A lot of people who were doing great fives were doing great eights and then then stopping or not doing very well in the last couple of minutes. So I mixed it up as a blend of fives and tens. It's always, I'm no cook in real life, but I do understand the notion of a recipe. And I do have the beauty here at Dirty Dicks of 
having an idea or having an idea brought to me and then we'll give it a go and then we tinker with it you know i think the challenge shows all worked well from the beginning some of the other shows needed tinkering with it took us six months to get them into place one of the shows we tried it was a nice idea but it didn't work so we let that one go away which was when you dropped which i'm not going to say that just because one of the guys that i work with here and he still works you know gigs with us here it was his idea and it was his baby so i don't want to put him in it but you know he's a great guy he's one of my favorite people in comedy a friend of mine genuinely and if he's got another idea in the future i'll definitely let him run it he ran it well it just out of 11 or 12 formats the odds are one of them wasn't going to quite work yeah. and that happened to be the one okay and the thing is it feels like uh, the project is rooted in variety rather than just comedy would that be fair absolutely to say? not no it's okay. absolutely based on stand up comedy the variety show is a curious anomaly but even then 60% of the variety show is still stand up oh no I mean, I mean as in variety of performances rather than just straight stand up oh forgive me um, no it's it's Still nearly always stand-up, but it's stand-up that has a twist to it sometimes. So the open mic nights are pure open mic nights, except we're different because we different to a lot of nights, not all of them, because we often have a real crowd. Um, and we have you know pro and semi-pro headliners. We have really good headliners at every one of our shows. Um, but then the, the, the formatted shows, as I call them. I used to be a TV producer and director, so I've kind of taken some of that skill set. I used to work in development and come up with ideas for shows and how rounds would work and stuff. I didn't really work on game shows as such, but mm. um, camera, hidden camera shows and prank shows and magazine shows, they needed funny bits and stuff. I've worked on all that kind of stuff over the years. Mm. So the idea is it's still rooted entirely in stand-up comedy, but... God, my, I'd, I'd blow my own brains out if I had to watch out and out open mic from approximately the same band of people four nights a week. Um, There's just not enough new material coming through, so this forces them to do it. And it's interesting for me as a producer to put together that show, figuring out, you know, ringing 16 people and finding out which female they're going to get dressed up as or which guy they're going to be. Um, we've got one of my favourite new ones is Swapsies. Really love the show. I've only done one of them so far. But basically, that's me... It, I from my TV producing days this is kind of a casting job I look around and find 16 of my favourite acts acts that not necessarily like personally though I tend to but acts that really impress me and then I team them up into pairs and then one act will write for the other and the other will write for the first act but they are half to perform no matter what is presented to them there is no getting out of it once they commit they're committed they are utterly obliged to perform that material so one act might try and write in the voice of their partner or they might make their partner perform in their own voice and of course I have mismatched them that's the big point of the casting yeah. or they might do something altogether different and that first show was just genius absolutely brilliant um, and we'll be doing more of those for sure so it's, it's innovating it's trying to freshen up comedy um, but it's still fundamentally one person standing at a microphone stand at a time trying to be funny. So that's stand-up, isn't it? Have you, because I know one format you've not done yet, as far as I know you've not done it, and it's quite a popular one at the moment. Have you ever thought about doing the comedian rap battles or anything similar to that? It's been suggested to me a number of times, but to be honest, I'm so busy with what I have that lately, since I introduced Swap Season, I'd rather do that again, much as it was brilliant, and I'm really, truly proud of that one. Um, uh, there's certain things that I could do to improve it the second time. You know, mm. TV language is piloting, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'd really rather give that uh, another go than 
go through the complex process of putting on a new format. And also, you know, not all of our core formats are entirely ours. You know, people have put on a show like we have, we have for new hecklers. That has existed before we came along. I'm fairly convinced Swapsies, which was my idea, is entirely ours. You know, a variety show exists in other forms. Uh, hecklers is a show we do. We do this one every single month. Uh, I produce that with Alex Martini. He's kind of the, the guy, my number two here behind that. And that's simply a show of, of open mic comedy. The first minute you left, you're left unassailed, and then a light flashes, and for the next four minutes, the audience are invited to heckle you as hard as they like, and you fight back. Okay, it's a great show, but we're not the first people to do that one. Mm. Rap battles—it's been done by plenty of people before, mm. uh, where possible. When I've got a finite amount of stage time and hours in the day, because God, I work hard on this, as does Alex Martini, without a doubt. You know, we're sixty, seventy hours a week on this because we love what we do and mm. it's not going to happen if we don't put in that level yeah. of work um, so I'd really rather focus on developing either my own new formats or finessing the formats that I've already brought in and just making them better and better so you used to, you used to work in TV yeah for 13 years I worked in television okay and you well I mean well let's put it this way I don't know the answer to this one so it should be interesting given that I sort of know your TV background uh-huh. you finished in TV and yeah. then you pretty much went straight into doing this full time, no. or trying to do this full time. Is the the narrative in my head? Yeah, narrative in your head is is wrong. Okay. So I quit television in two thousand and seven uh, because I knew I was going to become a father, and I wanted to be a thoroughly involved father. Uh, and for four of my last five shows, I'd been sent over to America to direct or whatever was going on. Direct, I think, in all cases. Um, and that had always been my dream and ambition. I loved the notion of being sent overseas. Travel is one of my great passions. So to be paid to, to go overseas and make these shows was wonderful. But it also was thin fairly quickly, and I didn't want to be an absent father. And being freelance was starting to wear a bit thin. I'd been fully employed for two years. I'd gone from one show to the next to the next. I had a development deal. Um, I had... I was directing two shows simultaneously for three months. Um, and it was all going really rather smoothly, but I was getting a bit tired of it. I've been doing it for, as I say, 13 years. Um, so I quit, and I set up, of all things, an eco-friendly car hire service, or private hire service. You didn't hire the cars. You'd, you'd ring, like, a glorified taxi service or the suited driver, and it was done on uh, account, somewhere between limousine and minicab. Uh, and we signed up over half of the top 100 production companies in London. Um, my partner and I, uh, my partner was my boss at MTV when I worked there. Um, uh, so he partnered up, he, he took his redundancy at MTV, partnered up with me. And we targeted the media market that we knew so well. TV companies use a lot of cars, getting people to and from studios and location and so forth. And it turns out 2007 wasn't the best time to launch a business, given what happened in 2008 with those fucking bankers. So, um, yeah, things went really rather badly wrong for me for a while, and I was kind of hamstrung, and I started running a comedy night with a guy who was my friend at the time. It was like an amateur occupation. We started running gigs at Dirty Dicks every two weeks, uh, fortnightly, and then it became weekly, then it became twice weekly, and then there was a falling out between me and this guy, and this guy and the general manager, which was the all-important element, and I rebranded from what we did before to the We Are Funny project, and this week, in late May 2015 is our second birthday for the We Are Funny Project, and now we offer six shows a week. This month I've got 27 shows, one workshop, and six Edinburgh previews. When this goes out, it will, you will be two years old. Cause it'll be I'll be slightly over two years old, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, Okay, so why... Because it feels like... Okay, so to go from 
to go from TV to go to the car hire thing makes sense private to me. hire it was private my said it wrongly private hire so it's okay. more like a minicab glorified minicab service not you ring up and book the car and then drive away in it yourself no, well, and I should stress by the way it was an eco-friendly service it was when the sorry. Toyota Prius had just arrived on the streets right so you had the first hybrid car mass production and then I'm ecologically minded so we also offset all our carbon emissions by 250% so if you're going to use a car and you have any care for the environment we were the right company to come to yeah but you know, several issues hobbled us and it went down within the year. So to go from TV to the private hire eco-friendly service, that's the wrong way around. But you, yeah, I'm going to go with that for now. Okay. And uh, to go from that to that makes, in my head, makes a, s- a sufficient narrative because it's sort of you going from an industry you're working in to doing a complimentary service for the industry you were working in. Yeah. And then in the evenings you started doing live shows and was that because then that obviously developed into the project from because obviously the car hire thing didn't work sorry the (laughs) the private hire thing didn't work and as a result you you wanted to do this full time or you wanted to work on the no not at all I was there was when you lose a business as hard and fast as that happened um, with the amount of money that was involved, there's a lot of potential for lawsuits and just general nastiness and financial woes, which I definitely suffered. Um, so I was kind of hobbled. I wasn't really able to work and go out and kind of just return to TV or something, which would have seemed the obvious choice. And then without going into details, I became ill and then injured, which kind of waylaid me for over a year. Um, and yeah, the, the the comedy thing was just a hobby on the side you know I've always been a big comedy fan I didn't actually realise how much I knew about comedy my, my expertise in TV was cinema and also on the radio and for magazines and, and books and stuff I knew I before the IMDB existed you know I started in the early 90s the internet wasn't really there mm. um, I was a walking IMDB so you know if you wanted to make a movie based show I cut my teeth on a show called Movie Watch I used to be a reporter with Mark Kermode on Radio 1 or, you know, I used to make documentaries for Universal Studios about the cinema all this kind of stuff that I did over the years was predicated on the fact that I was just a walking encyclopedia of cinema knowledge and the fact that I was actually really rather good at what I did. I was a particularly fast edit producer. I was a, by the time I ended my career, I'd become a really damn good director. I bullshitted my way through quite a few programs to finally get the experience to become a pretty good director. Um, but no, the, the coming into comedy thing was just something that happened. A bloke that I knew was setting up a room. I'd got to know him by being a regular audience member at the comedy club. He ran at a pub local to me. Um, and it was just to be a hobby. I think I'd secretly harboured the idea of being having a go at comedy for years, as I'm sure so many people do, and I just didn't think I had the stones for it. Which is kind of crazy in retrospect, because I've always been the one with the gab. You know, I've always been, you know, of all my friends, I've been the one that's had the chat. Um, Do you mean having a go as a performer or as a promoter? No, have a go. The the notion of being a comedy promoter hadn't even occurred to me at all. It was about having a go at stand-up comedy. Basically, I helped organise the night. I'd do the filming of the acts and stuff, but I I, I didn't have any illusion or pretense about going on stage for running it for a few months. And then I did my first stand-up go, and it crushed. It was great. I mean, it it really was a great first set. I mean, the the response I got was unquestionable. And I have the video footage. I've seen it. It holds up. And then the second set I did was just the biggest fall from grace you can possibly <laughs> imagine. I mean, I turned my back for the last two minutes of the set. I turned my back on the audience and said, "Let's see if this makes any difference." And I performed the last two minutes of my set to the back of the to the back wall, away from the audience. I mean, it went from um, you know wonderful to horrific in two five minute sets, and I think I did maybe three or four. And I just I wasn't for me. I didn't. I don't care to go around trying to pay attention all the time for any kooky or entertaining things and scribble them down in a notebook or. 
put them on a voice recorder and then trying to figure out the right phrasing and the pacing and practicing in the mirror. That's just not for me. I've always been the guy behind the camera and that suits me perfectly well. Um, so I had to go MCing and that's fine because I'm not really like most MCs because I think most MCs are comedians who are also MCing. So they've got a bank of material in their back pocket and I don't write material. I don't, I've got things that have come out in previous mm. shows when I've been emceeing off the cuff, and I can remember them and draw upon them again, Yeah. but I never walk into a show with any idea other than, oh, there's something happened in the news today, and I thought of something about that. I will emcee based purely on crowd work and telling stories from my life, and I've lived a suitably colourful life that even after doing it for four years now, several times a week, I apparently I'm not even close to scraping the bottom of the barrel. So it wasn't, it wasn't a plan, it was just something that kind of happened and then when I kind of got myself out of the grief of the failure of the business um, it seemed to be about time to turn this into a profession it's what I'd found myself spending most of my time on and I'd you know built up connections and love for it and understanding of the industry of what it was at least at this level I mean let's be clear it's still open mic and I love open mic and anybody who spoke against it would be my enemy but um, you know there are fishes in ponds and I would say at this point I'm a very big fish in, in a small pond um, and then you've got you know the Apollo and everything else at the other end of the scale. But um, it's a project. Give me time. Interesting that you. Sorry, I mean this is. I'm sort of picking on your words a bit, but interesting that you think big fish in a small pond. Because to me, the, the sort of it's a pyramid structure. So the the open mic element is the biggest pond of all. If you're the- talking about sheer numbers, you're absolutely correct, of course. Yeah. But uh, I would be referring to as far as things as quality and money and exposure. So good open mics. Oh, there's good open mics at every one of my shows. There's no doubt about it. No, no, I mean you're you're a big fish in the. So you're you're a big fish in a small the small pond of good open mics. Yes, I think that wasn't quite what I was saying, but that's a perfectly fair way of, of rephrasing it, yeah. Yeah, no, I just, because, yeah, that's quite, I was trying to... What I'd say is, okay, so there is a, I lost my ego quite dramatically when I lost that business. I mean, it was a real crushing experience, and a lot of bad things happened as a result of it. And I think in that process, I managed to kind of learn a lot about myself, and my ego's been put in check. I don't think I was ever an egomaniac, but I've come to know what I believe I know. And there's a scale and a, and a stature to everything. And I am rather influential in the world of open mic comedy in London, which are nearly all free shows. Whereas you can look at the other end of the scale and you can see somebody like, for example, this autumn I'll be seeing Doug Stanhope play the 3,000-seater Apollo. And yeah, I know, I know people play the O2 and that's 20,000 seats but to me that's ridiculous it just, I've heard Eddie Izzard a man I clearly like and respect very much and I've heard him argue why it's fine but it's not your comedy it just is not going to work with 20,000 people I'm sorry it just can't I saw Kate Bush at the Apollo last year that was a really intimate gig but it still had 3,000 seats I think that's about as big as you can go so I'm aware at the other end you've got people who are as genuinely brilliant as Doug Stanhope is and I adore Doug Stanhope he's one of my five favourite comedians alive I'm seeing Bill Maher there, in fact, very soon. Um, also, the same 3,000-seat theatre. I think that's about as big as you can go. So when I look at those, and then I'm aware that I'm delighted when I've got 80 people in for an open mic night, I have no ego in this at all. There is a sea gulf between the two of us. But it's a project. Give me a while. Some of these guys in the open mic scene now, I hope, to help get them to a 3,000-seater. Well, the, the interesting thing is, uh, yeah, so it's 80 seats. Uh, what is, we're, we're yeah, it's actually in, 100. Okay, so 100 seats. We're in Dirty Dicks at the moment, which is in Liverpool Street, your Liverpool Street club, essentially. 100 seats in here, and every time I do it, it's full. Like, I, I don't remember a time when it wasn't, well, at least 80% capacity. 
we're always we're nearly always full enough. There's the very odd occasion when there's a big you know uh, sporting event or sort of a bank holiday weekend. But I've you know people talk to me about other open mic nights. I know a couple of them. I'm good friends with like Carl Wallace runs a great night called GMB Comedy. Um, you know Simon Wolf runs TNT. You know she's a real angel on the shoulder of the comedians in London. You know the Cavendish. Um, you know, has a theatre built on the side of a pub, almost purpose built. They offer a lot of stage time. So there's really good open mic nights run by some really good people in London. I'm one of those. And I'd like to believe I offer one of the better nights. But I don't go to other open mic nights. The last thing I want to do on my night off is go and see approximately the same people do approximately the same thing just in a place that I'm not influential in. I'd rather just stay home, watch the TV, go out on a day, go to the cinema, go and see some pro comedy. Uh, but what I do understand is that, by and large, mine's one of the busier rooms with the real audience. Mm. By and large. But that's yeah. not to put anybody else down. And there's still space for the comedians running his own night. And all he gets is his mates or the comedians to come in and have a go. Brilliant. Long may that last. It's the way it's been forever and a day and it should stay. Absolutely. But when acts come down here, they can realistically expect to have a real audience, which is really important. Yeah, oh, definitely. But my, my question was going to be that um, you're in... I mean, you're not in the banking district, but you are surrounded by a lot of... Oh, we're in the city. There's no question yeah. about it, yeah. So was that part of your... I mean, like, obviously not a part of your plan, but, uh, I mean, was there a reason you picked this area or this venue? No, Dirty Dicks was with the guy that I set up with, the guy that I partnered with when we began this. He had identified this venue. He said, I've got this venue with an arrangement. Would you like to come along and help me do these nights? And I said, yeah, okay, it's fine, I'll do this. He wanted to MC and be a comedian. I just was happy to kind of help out and be part of it. We were quite clearly partners in the experience, but he had comedy ambitions, and I was just happy to help out and do the filming side of things. So that was kind of presented to me by the guy I used to do this with. But after three years, he'd become so unpleasant to work with, and the new general manager came to exactly the same conclusion, that there were three, you know, me and this guy, and then the general manager here, two of us could no longer work with a third. So it just became me and the general manager here, who has been an absolute diamond. He has let me do everything, every crazy idea of show that I've had or one of you know, one of the um, circuit people has had and presented to me. He's just let me do everything. It's an absolute blessing. But the odds of finding that again are next to none, of finding a good venue with a great general manager. Yeah. Uh, it's, the thing I'm really learning about from promoters is having the support of the venue is... It's critical. Yeah. It makes a massive difference. And so uh, other than the support of the venue and the fact that you are pretty much opposite the station, do you think there are any other factors that make your night so successful? Yeah, because I run a tight ship and I've worked hard and I've had to take a lot of heat off a lot of people because as far as I'm concerned, it's my party, so it's my rules, okay? I will provide you a stage, a lighting. I'll do all I can to give you an audience. I will greet you friendly, politely. I will pay attention to what you're saying on stage. I'll be the best MC I can be for you or I'll bring in the best MC I can to MC for you. We will finish on time and I'll get you a great headliner. It's not a bad deal. At the same time, if you turn up late and the cut-off time is very clearly 7.30, you're not getting on. If you don't turn up at all, and then you're not getting booked again anytime soon. If you keep on overrunning, if you are some kind of wanker who is a little bit more seasoned in the open mic scene and takes great p- pleasure, and I've seen this a lot, or quite a lot anyway, and you're a little bit more seasoned and somebody's on their fourth gig and you're lording it over them and playing the big I am, and actually just being a bit of a bully, well, I will go in and I'll nip that in the bud, and that kind of can hack people off a little bit. It's my party, it's an open mic club, 
There's no money being paid on the door. You're not getting paid any money. I'm barely getting paid any money. So let's enjoy ourselves. But the rules are... I've laid down the rules. And as long as you operate within those rules, which are entirely fair and reasonable, and I've gone to great lengths to create a friendly club, it is a friendly club, um, then we'll be fine. But you must understand, over 100 people a month sign up to my Facebook group. We're over 2,500 members now. You only really sign up if you want a spot. You've heard that it's a good place to get a spot. That's over 1,000 people a year that will be playing here for the first time. Plus, I've got the last few years of regulars who want to come back. You know, I put out a call saying I'm booking for next month, and I get over 400 emails in 48 hours. And it's a crazy amount of work. So when somebody comes in is disrespectful to me or aggressive to me or one of the acts, I'm just going to hammer straight down on it, and they're out. They won't be back in again. Yeah, you, it's kind of a buyer's market in a way. Oh, God, I'm, I genuinely have never thought of it as a buyer's market because there are a lot of open mic nights. There's a lot of people who come here and don't come back. I, and because they don't come back, I've got no opportunity to, A, ask them why, and B, I wouldn't. Because I am certainly oversubscribed. So from that point of view, yes, you would be correct. It's a buyer's market. But I believe this is being the success it is because the parameters I've put upon it are the correct ones, or at least very close to being the correct ones. And that is good stage time, good MCs, good headliners. It's a safe place to fail. And early days comedians, and even very late stage comedians, are going to fail again and again. It's a perfectly safe place to fail. You know, we're here to support people as they begin, and then as they get better, we can move them forward to the 10-minute spots, the headline spots. We provide the workshops in between if they want to tap into those to get better faster, and they do get better faster with these workshops because I bring in superb teachers like Stephen Grant and Ivor Dembina and Dave Thompson, Cynthia Levin. Uh, I'll bring in you know, a proper professional comedian who'll sit with the acts for an hour and take a Q&A. Scott Capuro, Pat Monaghan, Mark Dolan. All these guys have come down, Susan Murray, and they will just sit with the acts and just say, what do you want to know? And they'll answer anything they want. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty much a one-stop shop. If you're getting into comedy early days, I would like to think we can provide you with everything you might need. Just don't be a dick when you come. And 99% of people are not dicks. But also, you know what a colourful tapestry comedy is, how many strange and unusual people with demented egos do get drawn to it. And I love these people. I love the curious eccentrics that are part of the scene. But I have had to have the police take out a restraining order against somebody and this venue who's threatened to attack me with a machete. I've been threatened with violence in the room on at least 20 occasions, outside the room on at least another 10. I've been threatened to be beaten up by a headliner who was so drunk he couldn't manage his set. You know, the odds are slimming before I get a real beating. And I work in open mic comedy, you know. I don't get paid enough to take those kind of risks. And the reason I take those kind of risks is because I love what I'm doing and I can see a wonderful future if we keep going the way we're going. So, I mean, that, that covers pretty much the side of the performers uh, as to why your show was so, uh, like, well-run and, and so well-looked after by the comedians, like how much the, the respect there is for it. And I remember we were actually talking about, because um, you listened to Hill's episode on this. Yeah, and, yeah uh, fascinating, brilliant. Yeah, and I remember you were saying, because um, she was going on extensively about overrunning and how that was uh, one of her biggest bugbears. And, yeah, I just run a tight ship, you know, you've got five minutes, so you do five minutes. If you write, you know, okay, if you've slightly misjudged it in years 520, we can live with that. But if I've got 16 or 18 acts on and they all overrun by one minute, well, wait closer to an 11 o'clock finish than a 10 o'clock, a 10.30 finish. And on a school night, that's not really on. Mm-hmm. You know, people know what they're getting here. They're treated fairly and equally. It's, it's a, an egalitarian booking system. Make no mistake, there are certain acts out there that I really like as acts and as people. And the best example right now would be Harry U. Eldridge, I think is brilliant. So 
Harry will get at least one spot with me every week if he wants one because I want to see him flourish. I want to see him stretch out. And, you know, to the point that I'm now able to maybe offer him challenges, I'm giving him a theme a month and go, right, why don't you write about the topic of, say, overpopulation this month? Harry, dig into that to help him move on forward and faster. And he's more entertaining for me. He makes me laugh hard. Okay, so the... I've forgotten your question. I'm sorry. Well, no, I, I was going to ask something else, but I want to ask this now that you've started on that. Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit like you don't want to be an agent, but you no. do want to help people in the same way an agent would. No, no, not at all. I definitely don't want to be an agent. Um, that really is <laughs> categorically something I wouldn't be and probably would be shockingly bad at because I don't have the patience and the um, schmoozing skills. Um, I'm a relatively blunt and focused individual, and I don't think that's the skill set that agents require first and foremost. No, I want to, I suppose, if anything, it's producing and directing. It's what I did in TV all over again, just in a different form, you know. Um, I won't give new open micers feedback unless there's something really critically wrong, and I like, if you just don't keep doing that, whatever terrible thing you're doing you'll be fine so a little nudge now and again to a new act is not unknown but harry i've seen gigging for well over two years we're, we're personally friends he goes out on a limb he's very clever i mean he's he's a bright man you know um so he and i will talk you know socially off about what we like about comedy what he'd like to be doing and i'm not a comedian i can maybe help produce and direct him towards what he wants to do and what he wants to do is the kind of comedy that i like and respect so, no, not agenting, producing, directing. It's about creating opportunities. Okay. So we've covered quite extensively the, the side of the performers. The performers' side of the deal when they come to your party. Now, like I said, your rooms are pretty much always at a certain level of capacity full, regardless of the night. You know, We I've, always I've, have a degree of audience. Yeah, I've, I've been here on a Monday, which is like a really hard night for any night to get anyone in, and it's been either full or half full at least. And... I mean, do you, are there any things that you do that you think lead to that? I mean, obviously there's hard work, but do you like promote it online or do you like do it through your own Facebook group? Or like, what's, what do you think is the secret in your you life? You just nailed it. I mean, first and foremost, it's hard work. Um, I think it is, it is the fact that we're not play to play, pay to play, uh, though we do film the acts. And I know some people see us as being a step away from that, so I'll address this briefly. We're not paid to play, but we have two cameras rolling on the stage and acts can buy videos for £5 of their set and we'll edit between the two good quality camera shots and then we email them out. And I think that's exceptional value because between the time it takes to set up the cameras, render the footage, edit it and send it out, it's quite a lot of work. Um, But it is kind of what helps us keep going. And if somebody comes and plays maybe for the third or fourth time in a row without buying a video, that kind of gets to in my bad books because we put in an awful lot of work and effort and if you can't just do the equivalent of buying us a drink once in a while that's roughly what the money amounts to and except we don't get a drink you get a video and the videos are genuinely helpful because you're either very new or not particularly good often the same thing and that's fine the way you will get better faster in almost any other way is by getting these videos and watching them back And you would realise, for example, that joke that you think is brilliant and you so love but never gets a laugh. You suddenly realise, actually, you're looking at your shoes every time you deliver the punchline and it's about the delivery. And you would not ever understand that without watching the video back. And instead, you might have junked that otherwise perfectly good joke. That's a very good example of how it can help a newbie or some new material. Or actually, you really are rather quite good and you've got 300 gigs under your belt and it's time to start trying to reach out to promoters around the country or try and get an agent. In which case, you've got a really rather high quality video considering for £5 that you can send around. And how about a little bit of 
just throwing back in this is a community after all and it's not a high money community how about just a little bit of respect back for what we do we do put on one of the very best open mic nights in town there are a few very best open mic nights in town i'm not putting myself over all others by any stretch there's some other really good ones but we are definitely one of the best because we put in a lot of work so i think it's quite reasonable that the axe would just throw in a little bit now and again by doing that so we're not pay to play but we have that aspect to us we're not a bringer and the booking process is of 16 spots that are guaranteed somewhere between 10 and 12 can be pre-booked several weeks before but we leave around somewhere between four and six spots for people who just are feeling spontaneous and want to queue up outside and sometimes you know there's 15 people queuing outside from like half past five for doors that open at seven for a show that begins at eight to maybe get five minutes at ten i mean hats off to people who are committed to their comedy who are prepared to do that but you can be organised and get yourself a place here. You can be spontaneous. You can get here. You'll get a good headliner. You'll get a fully organised night that never overruns with a good headliner and a real audience to play to. That's the secret to the success. The, the show is good. It's nice to watch and it's good to perform at. And on top of that, we've got you know the Facebook group, the Twitter. The Twitter, listen to me. I don't do much Twitter. I've got a guy who does Twitter for us. Uh, but I've worked very hard, for example, we now have the largest dedicated comedy meetup group, uh, meetup.com group in London. We've got over a thousand members there. I've worked really hard to expand that. Um, so, yeah, social media reach. I think reputation. I think reputation is a big part of it, you know. So, you encourage, word, I mean, uh, how, how do you encourage word of mouth then from your audience? Or do you just literally say, come back? Or is, I, mean, I don't even it, say that. I think it's self-evident. If somebody, whatever I say is not going to make a difference. If that, we have some real regulars. We have some real regulars returning, not acts. They're just comedy fans, and then I will often stick around and have a drink with us outside. And sometimes they'll bring their friends with them. Sometimes, of course, acts, even though it's not a bringer, still bring their friends. You know, the early days when you started doing comedy, when you're on your first, second, third gig, all your mates want to see you. You get to your twentieth gig, no mates ever watching you again. You know, so and because I pride myself in making it as safe a place as possible for somebody in their earliest days particularly their first gig there tends to be some people that come along then but I don't ask people to come back again, it's self-evident I just let them know we're doing this we're here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on Dirty Dicks we're Tuesday, Wednesday at the Star and Garter in Putney it's self-evident if you want to come back you're welcome How uh, do you track like where people are coming from, do you ever like sort of ask or even like I don't know, because I mean, obviously it's not ticketed, so it's kind of tricky uh, for you to go, oh, well, they click through this link on this website, so we no, know that's... nothing like that at all. I pay more attention to the acts than I do to the audiences with regards to that. So for every show that I've emceed in the last three, maybe four years, I've got massive Lee Raj files on my shelves at home. Uh, I take note of uh, how many gigs the act has done on that particular date, maybe a couple of comments about a joke that they've written that will only make sense to me a mark out of 10 in my mind of how they did in their set and even a record of any major sporting events and the weather conditions and then uh, audience numbers at the beginning of the show 20 minutes into the show beginning of the second half and the end of the show I keep record of all of these but that's paying attention to the acts the audience the audience just comes you know we put on a good enough show the acts put on a good enough show in the framework that I provide them that we just get the audience is it, it's interesting because a lot of uh, open mic nights, um, I think, feel similarly to you where they go, oh, we put on a good show, but we don't get people in. I mean, uh, how much do you think location and your marketing has helped? I mean, because 
Are you a case of you just email out then to you know Time Out and, and whatever other magazines you want yeah, to? Yeah, we're in the regular listing places yeah. you'd expect to find, if I've got enough time. I mean, every now and again we'll miss a month in one of them because I literally have not had the time to email out you know the full list of headliners for the month and the shows. But so, if, so say if there's a performer out there or even just someone interested in promoting who wants to start a night who believes they have enough connections or they can get enough good performers to come down to put on a great show every week or every month, however long they want to do it, what advice would you give them in terms of getting audience in? Well, to begin with, I would start, when you start doing this, I'd start with a monthly, maybe a fortnightly at most. I certainly wouldn't begin weekly. You've got to acknowledge how much work it's going to take. It's a lot more than anybody appreciates. It really is. If you're filling 16 spots, you just know three or four of those people are going to not turn up or cancel at the last minute, and you've got to be ready for it. It's something you learn as you go, as with any kind of art form. So I'd make it easy to begin with. Location is all important. Being really close to a tube station is going to be helpful, and it'd be much more helpful if that station is on the central line as opposed to far out on the metropolitan line, if we're talking central London. Um, I personally don't have a problem with bringers. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also proud that mine doesn't happen to be one, and I made that as a conscious decision. But I fully understand why bringer gigs exist and as long as the promoter doesn't take the mickey otherwise by insisting on things like you know absolutely have to stay to the end when you're real audience not a performer and i've heard recently about people maybe even starting about you know two drink minimum type things the, the way they might do in america that's taking it too far but uh, being a bringer when you're starting makes perfect sense and then when you've built up that bedrock of people maybe you want to change your own rules but at the end of the day as with everything when you're buying a property launching a business and it is a business of sorts it's location 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 cool uh I mean, and, and also, too, just go a little bit further. You need to get some basic stuff right, okay? Make the seating face the right direction. Have the lighting suitable. You really do, at the end of the day, just need a couple of things a microphone and a stand, okay? Have them both in place working, okay? Um, make sure that the sound system is working suitably well. Try and have it that there's no evident sound pollution coming from somewhere else. So, for example, don't set up next to an ambulance station. You know, there's some common sense aspects going on here. Um, so just apply some common sense and, you know, ask around. Uh, in my experience, with only one exception, I just find myself getting on really well with the people in the comedy community. I found my people. I haven't met vast swathes of the comedy community, but by and large, I got on really well with the people in the comedy community, and that includes other promoters. It seems to be that we all agree we're doing this roughly the same thing for the same right reasons rather than, oh, my God, you're stealing my audience or I wanted that headliner that night. Don't worry, there's another show coming along next week. We can swap or at least let the act decide for themselves. It's no big deal. But, yeah, make sure the sound's all right. Make sure the act can be seen. Make sure the act can see at least enough of the audience. Make sure the chairs don't collapse. Make sure the chairs are facing in the right direction. Make sure there's no sound pollution. Try and make it that the drinks aren't rip-off prices. Try and make it that the bar staff are friendly try and get the location in the right place show that you've worked hard to try and get some real audience in there and you show that by doing it not just saying oh i put out a twitter message who gives a shit okay get some listings out there get some flyers done if it's the ultimate location put some signage up if it's in a pub then make sure the rest of the pub has signage up if that's at all possible saying a week on wednesday x is happening put some effort in location effort the setup that's the answer to your question cool no that yeah, 
I can't argue with any of that. That's perfect. <laughs> um, not, that, not that I not that I go, oh, I run so many nights as well, so I clearly know better. Yeah, but you've uh, performed at enough nights, presumably, to see when something really basic isn't in place. I mean, I have had a night, I've launched a night in a new room. You know, I've run at other rooms that, for one reason or other, haven't worked. Almost invariably, the general manager not having the commitment that it requires. Um, but, you know, they promised me a working PA system. I went down, walked it out you know, ordered the microphone stand, but the PA system had not been fixed. So the first night, we had to do the show without a working PA system, and some of the acts were given the opportunity and chose to still perform holding a microphone because they're used to it and they felt comfortable with it. Um, but that was just weird. I mean, really, we needed two things, a microphone and a stand. Uh, was I not clear enough that, well, the microphone has to amplify. It has to go through a system that amplifies. Mm. That was ridiculous, okay? You need... You need somebody in the venue who's really on side, who likes what you're about. You're bringing a degree of business for them, and that's all all right. It might be some business in a room that might otherwise be empty. But it really is quite essential if you're doing it in somebody else's venue, which you will be at open mic level, almost certainly, uh, to just make sure they're on side with what you're doing. In ter- I mean, I, yes, I've done 500-plus gigs, so I've done enough rooms, I know enough places and all that. The problem is, is that I don't know what goes on behind the scenes because I only see the end result of what you've done. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's really interesting to hear different promoters and how they... Because if you all did the same thing, you'd all be crossing over each other and essentially not be stealing each other's audiences because you'd be in different venues and different times and different dates. But it wouldn't work because you just... It, you know what I mean? You need, to, you need to have your own niche that you're sort of attracting audience-wise as well as a kind of... Uh, should we say segment of the people that potentially pass the venue you're in who would be appealed by it because in marketing terms if you try to appeal to everyone you appeal to no one so you are aiming for a certain audience and that's why it's interesting to me to ask you that kind of thing because although yes I could say the setup and I completely agree with all of the stuff you said about the setup but to me the most interesting answers are the ones that go into the detail of what you do that no one sees what do I do that no one sees? Um, a huge amount that no one sees. I will spend a ridiculous amount of time waking up in the morning going, I'll just check my emails before I get my bowl of cereal or whatever I'm having. And the next thing I know, it's half past 12, it's nearly lunchtime, and I'm still wearing what I slept in, and I've just dealt with 120 emails or whatever it happens to be. So an awful lot of work and organisation. People know what they're getting in here, and I've established the rules. I get the impression some other open mic nights... And I've got to be honest, you know, I'm only getting it secondhand because I'm not really in those rooms. But some of them open mic nights are just run by a bloke, so some of his mates and some people that aren't yet his mates, but he might want to be his mates, or they have a night, they might give him stage time. And it's done in a very disorganised fashion, but mine's run in an extraordinarily organised fashion. So what you don't see is the level of organisation and double-checking that headliners are going to be turning up, the fact that I'm posting all of next week's shows on a Friday afternoon where possible and then I double check with every headliner everything is good and then I ask every actor that's booked for the shows that week to like that particular posting these kind of things take an awful lot of time that's an email that needs 60 something people BCCing into it and they all need cut and pasting across with a very polite message asking people to like and share you know I've had acts come in here make jokes at my expense about Alfie's the one who's always asking me to like comment and share on Facebook and it kind of pisses me off because, A, the handful of times it's happened has come from acts who are really not very good. And I don't think they were appreciating that that took me actually probably a few hours between going through the shows of who's going to be performing, 
than writing out their email addresses or starting it so that it autofills or copy and pasting it in. Then, then compiling a really very polite request, then cut and pasting in the links, and then paying attention to who did it, and then emailing the ones who didn't do it again and asking them to do it again, all in the hope of bringing in the maximum number of people to watch them. And then they walk on stage and they decide with their five minutes, it's worth spending 30 seconds kind of having a slightly backhanded, not a heavy one, I'm a big boy, I can manage it, but a slightly backhanded swipe at me in a way that will make absolutely no sense to the actual audience that has been brought in partly by the people who were helpful to me in the first place. Part of the ethos is help me to help you to help me to help you. Okay, the better I do, the more I can do for you. The more you can do, maybe the more you can do for me, and then I'll be able to help you. It's some kind of cycle, circle. And there's a very small number of acts who aren't very appreciative of it. That's fine. But there's a large number of, larger number of acts who are very appreciative of it. But it's just a lot of time and effort and making sure the rooms are good. We're built on a reputation. It's community. I believe so. I really do, yeah. It yeah. really is, yeah. It's one of the reasons I like playing here because I'm I'm big on community. I'm big on supporting other comedians. I'm big on helping everyone out, and and you do that, and you do that very well. And it's and it's uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's uh, so kind. Thank you. No, it's fine. Uh, but <laughs> let's just brown nose for five minutes. No, but it's uh, I'll edit that out obviously. Um, You're but, so English. You are so incapable of either giving or taking a compliment. I am also English, but I'm quite capable of doing both. You yes. <laughs> I said thank you. You're very kind. They're perfectly reasonable words to say when you say something nice. Fair enough. Uh, no, I, ju- I just feel like it's worth pointing out to people that maybe haven't done your club that uh, you know there's there's a good feeling around it in Thank London, you. and it's and it's because you like you say you take the time to talk to people when they come in the door and you say hi and you have a bit of banter with some of them if you've seen them a couple of times and it's good. I mean, it's why I get a little bit frustrated because I open up conversations with people on Facebook and I say interviewing Alfie in this situation. I got an email from two different people. One person said. Um, that uh, they don't understand why you make them feel a bit like a criminal when you they don't buy your <laughs> video because because you know that you, you have a hard selling tactic is basically what they said. Um, if they say that I'm making them feel like a criminal, I'm going to say that they're being a little bit dramatic in their description. Absolutely no bones about it, and I should lay this down so it's clear. With the We Are Funny project, one of the services that we offer is, and this is really a major bedrock for funding what we do. There's two people working full time on this to create around 350 performance spots every single month, six shows a week in two venues and all these different formats, okay? That takes over 100 hours of work a week. So what we do is we offer, we have two uh, good quality cameras pointed at the stage at different angles and then you can pay £5 to have your set videoed. And then we will edit between the two cameras for the best coverage. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And send that footage to you. If it's brilliant, fantastic. Show your friends, send out to promoter, whatever you might want to do, an agent. And if you're really quite new and not very good, the chances are you're going to learn loads about how to get better faster by watching that video. People can book here pre-book spots once a month I'll open up for the following month but I keep a number of spots at every show free for people just to walk up so those who are really organised have a tight calendar and for those who are feeling a bit spontaneous or their plans are changed you can all find yourselves a spot hopefully okay but all that work goes in we, it's not it's a free entry uh, gig okay all this work goes in and a major part of our income is from the videos it's kind of we're giving you a good service okay but it would be nice, as it is a community, and I believe it is a community, if you're playing here for maybe the third or fourth time in a row without buying a video, I'll know. And I'll point it out to you, hang on a minute, you've been getting quite a lot of stage time from us, but you're not really giving anything back. You know, would you buy a video? Okay? And it really isn't explained as thoroughly as that, or as directly as that, because it's kind of a known. It's understood. You know, if you're playing here for the third or fourth time, that means you're amongst... 70 comedians over those three or four nights you've been here it's understood if you're really broke there's some young acts particularly young acts i'm really aware this is a terrible time in history to be in your early 20s you know kind of theoretically my generation though not me um have really screwed it up and for the last seven years with the banking crisis and all so if somebody's 22 years old and i know they've just got them out of university and they haven't been able to get a job i'm not going to say that to them but when i see somebody in their 40s or 30s who i know has got a perfectly good paying job and they're coming down here for the third or fourth time in a couple of months, and they're getting all the services we provide, stage time, good lighting, good mic, and an audience, and they're not a criminal, they're getting something for it. Okay. At worst, review your set. You're guaranteed to find something that will make you better. At best, send it off to a promoter, and you might get a paid booking somewhere along the line. So I'm sorry, whoever this person has been a bit dramatic, and frankly, if you don't like that policy, fine, fuck off and gig somewhere else. Totally fair. Like I believe so, and if they don't, but that's but if they don't, go and gig somewhere else. I'm oversubscribed every month. I'm as fair as I possibly can be, but you expect us to put in this amount of work to provide for you, and I'm going to guess this person has done less than 100 gigs, and there are definitely exceptions to this, but less than 100 gigs generally suggests not particularly high quality, and I stress the word yet, okay? And we create your really soft safe landing area okay if you can't respect that that's either because you don't know enough yet about the scene to see what we're genuinely offering or you're just kind of disrespectful either way i'm not bothered it's your party it is my party yeah Yeah. and i say it's not every gig it's not pay to play but if you're doing three or four gigs in a row and you haven't bought one and we know we pay attention because every penny counts so we know which acts buy 
video every time. And in many cases, I, I get the impression they don't really watch them. They're doing it because they do want to support us, and I'm really grateful for that. Some people are in and out of work, and sometimes they can afford to buy them. There's one guy last year who has bought videos all the time, and then he suddenly stopped buying them. And I said, is everything all right? And it turned out he lost his job. I'm like, well, look, you have a few videos anyway. It's fine. You know, I can give the videos as favours sometimes. You know, if somebody's prepared to come down and help me organise the meetup group as the real audience that we've worked hard to bring in or arrive, and he's prepared to arrive and sign them all off or something like that, then I'll give them a video for free. Do you know what I mean? But this notion of being made to feel like a criminal, they're being so dramatic. Whoever you are, feel free to not to return. I'm really not going to miss you. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, so, so a large number of, or a bit of your income stream is from... Uh, the videos yeah primarily from the videos where else would you say it's you can earn money from as a free night because you don't do a bucket interesting because if, if we do a comparison to Angel for example uh, Angel Comedy which is Barry Ferns' night which is amazingly well run and obviously also very Barry's a great man who has worked again just uh, just works incredibly hard to put on a range of amazing nights mm. creates huge opportunities for open micers and he brings in some fantastic professional talent mm. there, and they're all free shows I mean Barry is an absolute asset to the community and he was here before I was mm. I've, I, you know, I've not seen Barry for a while and I don't know him that well but I do know him to be a bloody good MC, a mm-hmm. bloody good comic and a really hard working man who does nothing but people like myself and Jeff Whiting all doing different things mm. but the one thing we do genuinely share in common is we create opportunities for young and developing acts and also some developed acts he, d- uh, he does a bucket at the end mm-hmm. and you do not do that very occasionally we do, but not very often, though. So how else do you earn money from a free night? Uh, the venue pay us a small fee for basically putting people in a room who are buying drinks over their bar or in a room that might otherwise have been empty. But it's primarily the videos. Okay. Uh, and the other, the other email I got uh, from someone who, again, will remain nameless. It was only two malicious emails, by the way. It's not I'm just selecting these two. Well, there were, were um, there any nice emails or just two emails and they were both malicious? There, no, there was nice emails. And I'll was get there? to those questions. Oh, do bit. they come as well? Yeah, yeah okay, you'll okay. get them as well. But I thought I'd Because I'm quite well aware that I, I uh, have created people. Well, not created people. There are people out there who do not like me. because, And that's fine. Because I run a very tight ship. And um, with the uh, beautiful, crazy, eccentric range of people that are attracted to perform comedy in the first place, and my very rigid way of running things, so they run well, every now and again you clash with somebody. And yeah. I know for a fact there's people out there that definitively dislike me. And to be honest, if I didn't have people out there dislike me, I probably wouldn't be doing it well. If the vast majority of people, or even a majority of people dislike me, then I'd be doing it wrong. But it really is very few people. I, you know, I bar from the club less than five six people a year really in the early days it had to be a lot more but kind of once you've set your stall out and go this is what the deal is it tends to not really be an issue mm. we haven't barred anybody this year we will we will get to barring and, and your booking policy mm. but the other person that emailed in and i'm going to eliminate their names from the email but uh they said um my friend comedian x has been killing it at your gigs and uh if anyone should have had progression it should be them and that you've never given them a penny why Okay, well, so let's take that question and kind of the, the, the reverse order of they asked it, why I've given, never given them a penny. I don't pay anybody to perform unless it's a paid gig. So if I'm ticketing on the door, which does happen occasionally, then the acts will be paid. But when it's a free show, no, you, you come in to perform because you're an early days comedian and really what the most valuable thing you can get is stage time. 
and a receptive audience and I'm providing that once they are good enough to get paid then either keep coming down here and working out your new material and, and you know because we're friends or whatever it happens to be we're friendly at least uh, or go off to the places that will pay you there's loads of people that have performed here and then got to their good solid 20 minutes and found an agent and then can go around and get paid gigs and I don't see them again and it's kind of sad but that's fine that's the way it goes you know um, but I don't make much money to pay people and I'm not going to pay people to perform on a free night so that's why I haven't paid them uh, if they keep coming back, presumably they feel they're getting something out of it, otherwise they wouldn't return. And as far as the, uh, what was, how was the, the way they described it, they, they kill it every time? They said they, yeah, they said they kill it every gig. Okay, fine. So automatically that would suggest to me one of about 20 names that I could zone in on as people who genuinely can kill it every time. Um, even, I mean, even then, I, I can't think of someone who would kill it 100% of gigs. Yeah, well, that's, that, I agree. But at this level, there are, there are certain bankers, people that I know that I would quite happily open and eat the part of the show with, for example. It's a free open mic night, okay? What I offer in currency is stage time, a chance for a new act to get better or a seasoned act to work out new material. It's a play day, not a payday. When they're good enough to get paid, then they'll go on to places that pay them. And then as time goes on with the project, and hopefully we'll get into this, I'll be able to offer opportunities for people to get paid. And then these will be the first people I'm knocking on the door of to come and, come and pay them. But I'm not going to pay somebody to perform on a free night. It's, it's the worst business plan you could possibly come up with. We barely make any money as it is. Certainly if you broke it down to a per hour rate, it's definitely a labour of love job. Mm. I can assure you of that. Definitely. And so realistically, take, take an average act. Like, just pluck them out of the air. You don't need to mention who it is. Realistically, how many spots do you, would you give an average act in, say, because you said you book monthly, so in a month? Oh, uh, we're not talking Harry because uh, we will talk about how you champion certain acts in a minute. Yeah. But uh, say it was just a general open mic person that you know, they're okay, they're not amazing, but they're just a person. One, maybe two at most a month. Okay. How uh, out of how many spots do you do? There's about 350 spots um, across the month. I mean, it can vary depending on which formatted shows we're doing, in which case the booking policy for that show would be obviously mm. very specific. Uh, the Edinburgh preview shows have taken off some stage time, but then I've launched a new night to try and balance that over at Putney. Um, but yeah, it will be a balance between anybody who's applying for the first time, will, I'll make sure they get a spot. Um, somebody who I see is showing promise, even if they're even just very early days, I'll try and make sure he's got a spot. People who have just been loyal and been regular giggers here, you know, people that I've become friendly with through doing this, well, always try and make sure they get one, maybe two spots. Um, people that I know are really great acts. You know, I don't have to. I remember Jeff Whiting saying in your really good podcast with him, him saying that he's prepared to work with anybody. It doesn't matter whether he personally likes them. Um, I'm not quite as um, kind as Jeff on that <laughs> point of view. Somebody can be a great act, but a complete wanker. Um, and I just don't want them in my room because they bum me out and I just don't enjoy myself. You know, I MC the, the shows that I'm at. I'm invariably the MC, and I really love doing that. And having somebody in the room that I consider to be a bully of the younger acts or just generally aggressive or I know is out and out hostile to me, so they're slumming it to get five minutes in my club, I just won't book those people in. But there's very few of them. Um, there's about 400 applications for 350 spots some people do lose out um, but then I'll make sure that they get in the next month and the odd act that I will champion um, 
I like to. I think very well of Abe Thompson. Um, Harry U. Eldridge is kind of my number one actor that I would champion right now. And then also, if people come and throw themselves into the the formatted shows, like the challenge shows or the sexy shows and stuff, and they've they've shown themselves willing to put their neck on the line or uh, get involved in in one of the other shows and stretch their wings, then I'll try and reward them by making sure they get that little bit of extra stage time. But it's quite an exact science. It depends how many emails I get, and some people can be asking for three months before they get a spot again. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's kind of, for you, there's a bit, I don't want to say a bit more bias in it, but then with Jeff's gigs, for example, because, it's probably because he's got a little bit of less, have a hands-on approach because he has staff that do a lot of the booking. But let's be clear as well, Jeff's running, you know, a serious operation business at a higher scale than I am. I mean, I think he mentioned he's got over 100 clubs up and down the country yep. that he's booking for. I mean, I've got, you know, I think I'm busy, you know, yep. and then Jeff said he's working seven days a week. And, I'm, and he said, I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, mm. I am as well. But at the end of the day, most or a lot of the people doing the mirth gigs are getting paid mm. or at least are seeing a genuine progression and a chance to play in all sorts of different towns mine's mm. more of a kind of a boutique arrangement at this current time mm. um so without the money involved it's a labor of love and why would i invite people into the room who have proven themselves to be thoroughly unpleasant i think there's only one act that i've barred in probably the last 12 months if i can remember correctly and it was an act who came in and he, my belief is he must have sat down and written a bullet point list of the most evil things in the world that included things like child rape, uh, acid attacks on women, I mean, just real horror stuff, and then tried to write a joke to each of those topics. And he came in sometime last year and went through it, and it was another night, wonderful night, and it was a really wonderful night. I remember how completely he managed to bring the tone down, just stunk the room out. And I said to him, look, I know what you're trying to do. And if you're brilliantly talented with the harsh stuff like a Jimmy Carr can be and a Frankie Ball often might be or a Doug Steinhope could be, you know, if you want to play to that, that's fine. But you don't do five minutes of that when you haven't got the skill set. Can I suggest you write five minutes on airline food or internet dating or whatever stuff you want to go for? And then work in one or two jokes like that and then work it through. Okay, so I gave him that advice from stage in front of the room to make it clear, like, I'm not on side with this, but I'm very committed to it being a free speech platform. But then he came back six months later, and I didn't remember him until he started speaking, and he just had taken it down a level again. It was horrible. I just went, you just can't play here again. Why would I work so damn hard? You know, there were 60 people in this room having a really good night, and then we got to half past nine, and all of a sudden he stank the room out. Awful. Mm. No, that, that makes sense, because your main priority is to your audience and your acts. And, uh, you My don't... first responsibility is to the show. There's no shadow of a doubt. But also, I'm extraordinarily protective of the acts when mm. they're on my stage and in my room. Some of them don't need them. Some of them are massive, giant men from Scotland who lift weights or whatever. They don't need my protection. <laughs> but by and large, if somebody messes with an act on the stage and I'm the MC, I'm going to crucify whoever the audience member was that messed with them. Because, you know, by and large, these are not seasoned pros. They've got a tool of heckle put-downs and, you know, uh, and know their material back backwards and forwards or it might be you know a, a, a horrible thing recently with a bloke shouting out slag at one of the female access a regular here just a complete city wanker coked up dickhead it was just so out of order i just went to town on him but it was no fun it just spoiled the show you know, yeah it's just bad you know you do you get bad people in any walk of life by and large i really love comedy people but some of them can be just a bit too far and some of the audience can be as well Find me a hundred people in any walk in life, and I guarantee you at least two of them are wankers. And that's a very that's low a very percentage. Low, I was yes. going to say, yeah, that's a, that's an optimistic percentage of yeah. anything. Like you said, it's not an exact science your uh, booking and selection process. And 
you obviously sort of have to take into account variety in your shows in terms of um, gender and in terms of um, maybe maybe not having you know ten middle class white male comedians. On I don't think it that deeply. No, I don't. I don't look at it as far as oh, I must make sure I've got three females on this bill, or I must make sure that there's not ten, as you just said, ten middle class white males. I don't dig that deeply. I think Jeff Whiting on his, your interview with him. I think he gave the percentage is 17% or something of acts of females. He had it down to a very exact science. I'm sure Jeff knows better than I do, but from my experience, my estimate has always been one in eight, which is slightly less than what Jeff was suggesting. Uh, and that would suggest of a show with 18 acts, you'd expect two females. But one of the shows last week had nine women out of 16. And it's just the way it was. You know, Some of them were walking, so there was no way of speculating upon that. But I don't ever book a show based on what well, I better make sure that I've reached some kind of tally of you know, female or ethnic minorities. It's done on whether they're new, whether I can see they're working really hard. That's quite a big one. If I can see that working hard and gigging and getting better all the time, I'll do my best to try and get them a bit more stage time so they can proceed. There's one act out there who I love, I think is absolutely fantastic, but he just is not working hard enough. So I've said to him out and out, if you start working harder, I'll guarantee you some stage time because I can see huge promise in this guy. But at the minute, as far as I can see, he's doing a couple of gigs a month and it's a terrible loss because the guy's really got it. He really could be something special. But I never book based upon some kind of um, uh, agenda for you know addressing minority issues or anything at all. It usually falls into some reasonably representative um, balance, I believe, I imagine. But even if it didn't, I wouldn't really be bothered. It's it's not the way I book. What do you think of that sort of movement in a way where people are sort of trying to mandate it a bit so that there there are more opportunities for uh, so there is more variety and there is you know what I'm trying to say you I know? don't know I don't know who I don't know if there are people trying to mandate these opportunities if so they haven't come to me I have genuinely had no complaints on that if for example there's a, a guy with a disability it's really obviously quite hard for him to move around uh, you know if he comes and he's here for a walk in uh, with his carers you know I'll make sure he gets a spot you know if you've got if you that much trouble to get to the gig and you've been stood outside for half an hour I'm going to make sure you get a spot even if I have to bump somebody else who has a walk in not who pre-booked you know that's just decent you know um, that's just a little bit of extra help because it's the right thing to do um, but by and large it's it's whoever whoever books first whoever is working hardest who has kind of come regularly and been supportive who is proactive when I ask people to like comment and share they actually do people who actually are capable of bringing good laughs to the room because it's all well and good to have eight really new people working out their stuff and that's fine they're totally welcome but the other eight better be playing at a higher level to balance it all out so it's not a bad night um, but yeah, just, uh, there's no con- there's no consideration as to whether somebody's of an ethnic group or a minority group or a, a female. It just it seems to, as far as I can tell, balance itself out. There's usually what I would imagine to be a reasonably representative slice of society in this room, and you know the fact that the majority of comedians are males, and the majority of those tend to be middle class, and the majority of those tend to be in their twenties and thirties. Um, but, you know, on a bill, I will, without a shadow of a doubt, it would be completely normal for me on a bill to have somebody who's in their teens, uh, somebody who's in their 60s, uh, a couple of black people, two or three women. Maybe one of those women is also black. Who knows? It just is. It falls into place. It's not done by design that way. Okay. And in terms of progression, I know the project is moving forward with its... Would you, I mean, do you want to do the... Because you've told me this off mic. Yeah. Do you want to tell me the phases that we're in and okay. where we're at? Sure. So the project 
when it became the Way Off Funny project, I set it up for three stages for the first stage, so to speak, phase one. And the first agenda was to maximise the amount of stage time for the acts. So it was about increasing the number of nights, potentially the number of venues, making sure the nights ran to time so that people were getting the time they were promised. And as I say, at this point now, we're running somewhere between 300 and 350 spots per month, which I believe means we're offering more open mic stage time than anybody else in the country. <clears throat> stage two was to maximise the number of real audience in the room because it's just a thankless task playing to comedians that have seen your set before and it becomes mind-numbing for me seeing that same joke for the third time this month or whatever. So stage two was uh, bringing real audience. Uh, and a little caveat to that would be just freshen things up with aspects such as the workshops and the different formats that we have going on. Stage three was to create paid opportunities for the best of the open mic scene so they've got somewhere to progress to and hopefully all of us can get paid somewhat more because I don't get paid a whole lot, an awful lot of acts. You know, it costs money to do open mic as an open mic performer. It costs you money to get to and from the gig in London. That's probably somewhere between five and ten pounds. You're almost certainly going to have a drink or two because you're spending two, two and a half hours in the pub. Then you're probably going to have to buy a takeaway and you could have had something cheaper and healthier at home. So each gig you do is realistically costing you... 10, 15, 20 pounds and the serious acts who are really trying to go places are gigging 2, 3, four, well not 2 nights a week, should be gigging at least 3, 4 or 5 nights a week um, that's quite an expensive hobby I mean that's probably up there, I don't play golf and I never have and shoot me if I ever do but presumably you know, 60, 80, 100 pounds a week on your hobby, isn't that going to be akin to golf club membership and buying a new set of clubs and spreading it across the yard, I don't know but it's not the cheapest art form in town but it's also it's a community to move and you move and you see your friends and you know you share the the successes and you smirk behind their backs on the failures if you're that kind of guy however it happens to work but you know people need something to aim at and i've been able to give them the 10 minute spots to aim at and headline spots to aim at but really you want to get paid uh whether it's a paid 10 minute spot or a paid 20 minute spot so the news, the scoop that you are getting, Simon, uh, before anybody else, is phase three, that paid uh, progression. It was originally planned to be that this room here at Dirty Dicks, which is ultimately the basement bar of a 250-year-old pub, was to be refurbished and remodelled into a dedicated comedy club for me to run. Sadly, for a couple of reasons, that's not happening, and the room is getting remodelled to some other purposes, and you have the scoop that the We Are Funny project will be finishing at Dirty Dicks in July of this year. So, um, we've had time to kind of get, get to grips with this. We are obviously looking for another room. You know, we'd hate for the We Are Funny project to go away. Uh, that's not my intention, but without the right room and backing, that could be a possibility. Um, I can't keep working this hard to fall mm. back a square. You know, it's it's not just progression for the acts. The project has to progress. We've got a lot of good stuff in place. But effectively, we're looking to create a brand new comedy club on the landscape of London. Something that we can... Is it a physical club? Yes. Or at least a room that we have total control over. Um, I'm never going to be lucky enough to get a general manager as good again as the guy here. That's just not... You, lightning does not strike like that twice. The guy here is perfect. He lets me do everything I want to do. And, you know, at the Christmas party, you know, he gave us £100 behind the bar and drinks for the for the acts that had, you know, stuck their neck out and worked harder for us. I'm not going to get that again. And, you know, we've got the bedrock now. The We Are Funny Project's got good reputation, I believe. We've got uh, good contacts. We know a lot of the acts that are coming through. We've got some of the good headliners that are very fond of what we do. You know, we've got great workshops that we run. 
uh, whether it's the MCing workshop or maximising your comedy or having your um, your material reviewed. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on. We can expand upon that. So the ambition is, and ask me again in a while whether we've succeeded, but the ambition is to basically open a new dedicated comedy club on the London landscape, and it will also be wired up as a podcast theatre. Uh, we will expand the number of workshops that we run for comedy, specifically but we'll also open up to run workshops in other art forms it might be audio engineering skills to create a podcast and how to learn to post it and stream it we would also make the room available in the daytimes for uh, groups that might want to come in and just use our performance space. It could be uh, maybe a band who want to rehearse. Not so keen on that, but that would be working. Maybe uh, an acting group that need to rehearse their stage play. It might be rehearsal space as people get towards Edinburgh. Mm. Uh, it could be a management consultants com- company that want to just have some kind of meeting with a projector and good sound. You know, mm. If they're going to pay us money to use the room in the day on a Wednesday so that we can pay better on a Saturday, so be it. But as far as comedy terms go, we'll stay committed to open mic Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Absolutely committed to grassroots open mic comedy. I truly am. Uh, Thursday nights would look to um, take one of our formatted shows, uh, whether it be variety or hecklers or swapsies or sexes or types or whichever ones we've got. And then we'll look to add some extra production values to it and make that a ticketed event. Uh, And then the people involved should get paid as well, whereas in the past they've done it for the love of the game. And then Friday and Saturday nights should be paid professional shows you'd expect at any comedy club. No idea what I'll do with Sunday nights. I would imagine somebody's got to come to me with a suggestion of what's something they'd like to do, and if I say find that room's available to you. I'm also very keen for comedy to be brought to kind of the youth. It's a big mission that I've been wanting to get to for a while. Um, Whether that's kind of going to kind of youth clubs, so to speak, whatever they might be called, youth clubs, that kind of thing, or maybe taking it to certain schools as an extracurricular activity. You know, if you stay after school or lunch time clubs, and we will teach you, uh, you know, show you how to do your first stand-up show. More likely it will be something like during the school summer holidays, youth groups who look after the kids while their parents are still at work, you know, they might take them boating one day, the park to the other. They might want to come to us and we'll take, I don't know, 12 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 10-year-olds, whatever it might be, and we will show them some comedy, obviously some clean comedy. We'll help them to write some jokes, uh, get them trained through. It won't be done by me. I mean, I'll be around and help him manage it. I'll be very proud when that happens, but it won't be me. Um, and then we will create a showcase for them, whether it's later that afternoon or more likely we'll do something one of the evenings a couple of weeks later, and then they can come along with their parents and their siblings and their friends, and we'll put on a comedy show for kids. It's something I'll be very keen to do. So... The breaking news is we leave Dirty Dicks. That's coming up soon. I'm working very hard on another venue. I've got a specific area in mind. I'm looking at a couple of venues, but venue location is all important, so I can't rush into it too soon. To do that, though, of course, we're going to need money. We're going to need to you know, sort out the sound and light system, furniture, almost certainly have to remodel a room to a certain extent, sort out the signage, revamp the website. So the Way Our Funny Project is about to launch, um, I believe, the day that this podcast lands, because you've got the scoop. 2nd um, of uh, June. 2nd of June. Uh, we're launching a crowdfunding campaign for the We Are Funny Project, which will be running for slightly over a month. Um, we have 2,600 members of our Facebook group. I think it's fair to say that you know a good percentage of those are no longer really active. Probably people that wanted to have a go at comedy a couple of years ago and then decided it wasn't for them and just never left the group. But there's certainly well over a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred active people in there who have all gigged here. You know, recently enough, there's some people that are huge supporters of what we do. We've got the biggest meetup group over a thousand members there. 
all the Twitter followers, and I hope that anybody who's a professional comedian can say, well, it can only be good for them if a new comedy club opens in London, because that's another venue that can give them paid work on a Friday and a Saturday night. It mm. would hopefully be a great benefit to the open micers who will have a custom-built room, much as this is a great room, it's not purpose-built, it's not purpose-modelled. No. So a great open mic room, and I'm committed to those open mic nights happening. And then they can see, well, I'm just four days away from maybe being able to get a paid middle ten on a Friday night. Uh, also, uh, you know, in September, the tube start going 24 hours, so it becomes all the more viable to run uh, two shows a night in central mm. London without people having to rush off by midnight to make sure they get on the train. So hopefully we can pack more value into that room. Um, and hopefully we don't charge, therefore, too much on the tickets. You know, I think it's a tough time to be broke, and there's plenty of broke people. Thank you, Tories and bankers. Um, you know, I really wouldn't want it to be a £5 a pint kind of a place or a £20 a ticket kind of a place. It would be nice if we get a nice economy of scale for both the acts and the audience where you can get a good value night out and you can get a proper payment for a proper performance on a Saturday night. So the crowdfunding campaign launches today, as far as we're concerned, this going out on June the 2nd. Um, we have the campaign launch video is on the uh, Indiegogo, is the group we're going with for the crowdfunding. Uh, we've got uh, what I think is a interesting launch campaign video that is embedded on there. It will, of course, very soon be being sent out to our Facebook group and through all of our social media. But we've got we're managing this you know this is a full-on campaign it's pay you know it's do or die time for the way of funny project and if we do we're going to be a great benefit to everybody in comedy but we're running a campaign with uh, alex martini my number two here is uh we've created a character called cheeky martini and every time we reach a uh, funding goal a funding milestone maybe a new thousand pounds earned or something like that we're releasing a video of alex being cheeky martini you'll have to see You'll see online <laughs> what that amounts to, some of the trucks are doing that. We've got a lot of support for some of the pro acts. Arthur Smith is very kindly giving us uh, an endorsement and a kind of appeal to, uh, to for people to support us. And I'm hoping some of the future uh, Edinburgh preview acts will do the same. Mark Dolan's done it for us, Hal Cruttenden did it for us, Pat Monaghan, James Farmer. Um, and I'm really quite hopeful of gaining some uh, mainstream press exposure because something new will be dropping from us every day. And now that this is finally out, I've been keeping this secret at the time of recording anyway. Um, it's out in the public domain. Hopefully the comedy community, the open mic community, will realise that actually it would be quite a loss to them if the We Are Funny project went away and it's a new home for people to go to and that's really exciting yeah it's a lot of work we've been working on it for a number of weeks to make sure it happens but we're going to be creating a lot of content we've got some wonderful rewards on there whether that amounts to being able to buy a ticket for the opening night when we do open the new club whether that's being able to basically pre-purchase one of the workshops we'll do in the future whether that's uh, Steve Best who does the uh, Comedy Snapshots book he's uh, provided a, a load of copies of his book that he will autograph to whoever makes a, a donation so that's their reward um, you'll be able to make a larger donation uh, and then you can have the club for an entire night you can make a, a slightly smaller donation but bigger than most and we will organize a comedy roast for you or somebody that you like or don't like and we'll arrange a night in the club and you give us all the background information and we'll roast your little brother on his 21st birthday or somebody's 40th birthday and so on. we'll tailor a comedy show for you but now that it's out in the public domain you know i we've got a lot of people well over a thousand well well over a thousand people who really like the we are funny project that perform and come and watch regularly and i'm hoping that they'll weigh in with us not just making contributions which of course is all essential but you know if you're broke it's fine can you just like comment and share spread it around let the 
word be known. Um, maybe you've got a mate who works at a record company who can get us a couple of backstage passes for a festival this summer, something like that. Well, if you could get that for us, then we can put that up as a reward. Mm. And then maybe somebody would want to do this. I mean, the general manager here has given us, um, here at Dirty Dicks, has given us uh, you know, two meals for two with a bottle of wine, just to be kind and hopefully we can put those out there for however many pounds and get there so at the point of recording I don't know the exact figure we're aiming at uh, I was going to ask that's yeah. still being calculated um, do you have a ballpark knowing, figure? pardon me? do you have a ballpark? I'm not going to say it now because honestly it really could change it, obviously the biggest issue is finding the exact right venue and I have been strongly advised not to start the crowdfunding campaign until I know what the venue is but I'm sorry, it's just a chicken and egg situation. I've got to mm. get this ball rolling. You know, you give, I'm a big believer in give fate the opportunity to intervene. And really the most heartbreaking thing that could happen is find the exact right venue. And then it's going to take me, you know, six weeks as we're already at to set up the campaign and get everything in place. Then another six weeks for the campaign to run. And then in that three-month period, that opportunity is gone. So really the best way forward for us is to basically have a sense of what funds we have, what level of support we have in our back pocket so we can move like lightning as soon as we find the right place. I want to move on and open up somewhere new as soon as possible and this is just the best way forward. So I, uh, let me just get my head around something. So are you looking at buying a location or renting a location? I don't that you think can... buying is a possibility. Okay. We're in central London after all. I mean buying Oh, you're going to stay in zone one kind of thing? Central London is what okay. I'll say. sorry. Yeah. I do, I'm not going to pressure you on... Uh, just central, you can, but you won't get an answer. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a very clear idea of where I would like to be, but I'd hate to say what that is if I find myself just in the postcode next door, and it's acceptable. But I've got a very clear idea of what the room should look like, you know, what the green room should look like, and you know, the signage and everything else. I've got a beautiful vision of it all. After all, I'm a producer and a director. I've better had, otherwise it's all going to go wrong. I know exactly what I would like it to be and where I would want it to be. But that's blue sky thinking. The, the real question is, okay, that's ideally what I, I would create for us. How close can I get? And it, there will inevitably be compromises. That's a given in this world when there's finite finances involved as well. But I believe I can put a fascinating club on that can really be seen to be earning money most of the time to make it a profitable business. So things like open mic nights that theoretically will probably run at a loss can still happen. Um, and create as many opportunities as possible. It really keeps coming down to opportunities. I don't want to sound like some terrible kind of careers advising wanker kind of thing, but it's about creating as many opportunities as possible. But equally, and to be absolutely frank, Alex Martini and myself can't keep working at the level we work for the very small amount of money we earn without seeing something happen bigger and better that we can kind of be motivated towards. So it's happened in a way that was kind of unexpected, but nonetheless, uh, I am being the optimist I am. I see it as one door closing, and therefore we're forced to kick the fuck through another one. Something you said to me a while ago when I was going through... Stop pumping my leg, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so, other than that... Okay, sorry. Something you said to me a while ago when I was going through a few problems was, uh, life doesn't always give you what you want, it gives you what you need. And that could I think be... I don't, if I did say that, I would have been quoting a Rolling Stones song, you don't always get what you want, you get what you need. And it feels like not being able to stay here might be that for you. Yes, and the, the, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Let's see where we are at you know, Christmas 2015, whether we've identified another venue, that the remodelling is going on, we've got a reopening date, whether we've even actually managed to open and hit the Christmas market. Um, who knows, but I, I'm a proactive and organised individual. I don't think anybody who knows me would deny that. 
Um, we have a lot of people who love what we do who come from all stripes of life so some would hopefully put some money in to help us make it happen some might not have much money but they've got time on their hands so they can just weigh in and help us get some other stuff done you know maybe there's people out there when we do find the location you know they work in the trade they can help us get the remodeling done at a price or there's somebody who knows where we can get some second hand lighting okay this has all got to be worked out but you know I've done my research into crowdfunding um, and you know, apparently you know, uh, the statistics suggest that around about 30% of what you're hoping to raise, you raise from literally your own community. Yep. People who do know you up on site. And actually, you're very social media savvy, so you can probably tell me if what I'm saying sounds wrong. No, that's about right. Yeah, so 30% comes from that. And then the rest comes from when it kind of catches fire and has caught some slight pu- further public interest. And there's why it's behooving of us to catch public interest. And I would hope that the Time Out comedy page would maybe pay attention to us. That, you know, Copstick and Bruce Dessau and... Sure. Um, Chortle, of course, uh, should be looking there. You know, hopefully the Guardian. And you know, we we have plans to play. I'm not play. We're going to create an an entertaining campaign. New things will be released by us day in day out to mark every kind of successful step we've taken. And you know, if a couple of aspects of it went viral to draw attention to us, great. But you know, there's. I don't know if anybody else has done a crowdfunding campaign. I'm not aware of it. My research has not brought it up to open up a comedy club slash podcast theatre to create training opportunities and uh, give that entire progression from open mic on a Monday night to, you know, full-on superstar headline spot on a Friday night. That's what I hope to achieve. The comedy community, I would really hope, are going to get behind this. Not just because I'm being a salesman here in this moment. It's just because if you're into comedy from any corner, why would you not like this? If you're an open micer, it's another place to go and perform and probably the best room you're going to have because it's purpose-built. You don't get to, with the greatest respect in the world to the comedy store absolutely rightly regarded as the best comedy club in the country you know they don't do an open mic night you know but it'd be nice they to do the gong show but that's not quite it's the same no, thing it's not open no. mic, is it and I love the gong show and a lot of people don't but I really like that show but um, I love that show you know it's, it's more opportunity for paid spots for the pros it's wonderful stage time for the open micers they've got a genuine reward and opportunity ahead of them we can shift you to the night and get you into a paid spot we'll have it wired for sound and video so you can get recorded to the highest possible standard and it gives us a chance to start platforming these different formats because you know i was a tv producer i'm talking to people in television about some of these formats get turned into something more than uh, a live show in my own club and hopefully as and when that might catch fire of course we want some star talent attached because you need that name without a doubt but it would be great to see some of the really talented open micers like I'm not saying Harry's the right one for this particular idea but I keep coming back to Harry U. Eldridge as my example as you know one of the most talented you know writers and performers and certainly the boldest and most intelligent performers on the scenes right now it would be great to see him get a platform move forward so if you're into watching comedy it's another place to be able to go to and watch it watch comedy as a venue uh, we'll book interesting bills I've got some very experienced and talented comedy people behind me it's i will be the first and singular voice in this make no mistake but i've got some very very well informed and well connected people who are already signed up to basically be um counsel for us and supporters and uh kind of underwriters you know to you know give us their endorsement to go you can do business this guy's fine because we've spent i've spent five years building up that reputation but we're stepping up a league yeah totally and it's and uh in terms of what you were saying before yeah it's about 30 percent your own community and then usually 40 to 60 percent of it is people who would be part of your community but just didn't know it existed or haven't taken part in it so that would be additional comedians maybe from around the country that didn't know your club existed but want to help it happen and then usually it's sort of 10 to 15 percent 
some ridiculous person who has a lot of money who just wants to support the campaign. And that would be wonderful. That would um, be wonderful. I'm, I'm, very, I'm not I'm, guaranteeing. That's just that's. I'm just sure you're not. No, I know you. I know you can't guarantee that. But all all I can do, all we can do, because it's more than just me at this point. You know, I am without a shadow of a doubt the main man at the We Are Funny project, and that won't change. I've had partnerships in the past, and they have never worked out well, both privately and business wise. <laughs> so I am absolutely the man at the top of the We Are Funny project. But I have an excellent and wonderful and talented colourful collective of people that I've met through running the We Are Funny project who are either outside of the project but like what we're doing and have their own concerns or I've met through them performing on the stage here and we've become friends and they've offered their help and support. There's still at this point of me telling you now less than 20 people knew about this. Um, I believe anyway unless somebody's blabbed uh, by the time this goes out we will have had our second birthday party on May the 22nd and that's when we'll be announcing to uh, an audience that is comprised of the people who have most regularly performed here and done our workshops and do the like and commenting and sharing and are just nice people it's not based on talent you know some of them are immensely talented and some of them are really quite new to the game um, but they're all, they, they seem to get what the We Are Funny project is about. So they're going to get it first mm-hmm. from me. And hopefully we'll have that uh, first launch video edited in time to show them on the big screen up there on, on Friday night. And in fact, uh, one of the guys that does know is another promoter. He's very kindly said that he will be showing the screen, showing that launch video on the screen in his night um, this week that this podcast goes out. So, you know, there's other promoters out there who know what I'm doing and they're supporting. Will the people at that event on this Friday be asked not to tell anyone so that it stays no I think uh, no it's they, they can the, the words out once I announce at the show and this show is a special show it's a second party a second birthday show Arthur Smith headlining for us absolutely love Arthur Smith I mean the, the godfather of British alternative comedy what a diamond man he is um, but this show is a platform for all the formats so we will open up with for example Swap Seas then we're going to uh, a shortened round of challenge which blends with quickies and then we'll have types and then sexes and then we'll obviously we open the whole show with a variety which of all daughters decided is going to be based upon Eurovision so you imagine how <laughs> camp and colourful that's going to be which is wonderfully up Siobhan Street Martini better be involved in that of course he, well, yeah. he's involved in certain parts of the show and I can say now because it will obviously have happened by the time this podcast goes out um, uh, you know, if there is any risk of me giving the impression that my ego is out of control or I'm a bit too precious, I don't believe I am. Um, but I am certainly the, the, the captain of this room or the We Are mm. Funny project. Um, uh, a fellow promoter, Carl Wallace, is organising a comedy roast of me in Wicked. front of all of my regulars or all of my favourite members, regulars, performers who come to this club. Here, or in, no, here at the show. So I've given it to another promoter who I'm very friendly with, Carl Wallace, because that way it can be quite clearly seen as independent and there was no interfering from me. So whatever they do to me, the gloves are off and they can rinse me as hard as they want. Mm. And they don't have to worry about will he get stage time again in the future or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I, it was actually discussed as an idea for my birthday uh, a short while ago, but we couldn't quite get the timing right, so it's fallen to this. But actually it strikes me as quite the right time because within half an hour of me being roasted on stage for 15 minutes, um, that's when I'll be announcing that we're leaving Dirty Dicks and that's when I'll be announcing the crowdfunding campaign and that's when I'll be asking for people to give us their support. And I think being humbled and ridiculed in front of them just shortly beforehand would hopefully give the indication that um, this isn't about ego, this is about putting together the best comedy club that we possibly can and seeing... Why it's a project, not just a club. 
Yeah, totally. I'm a big fan of Carl. Uh, I was expecting you to do it at his club, oddly enough, but it does make sense to do it here. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, that's quite cool. Okay. Uh, the few... Mm, let me just think of how I'm going to phrase this. Sorry. Nine inches. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> Don't look at me like that. That's why you really want to know. No, No, I'm going to edit that out. Um, (laughs) I might leave that in, actually. You decide on your playback. My question was going to be around, uh, have you heard of the A Thousand True Fans theory? Have I heard about what, sorry? The A Thousand True Fans theory. You would have done. I believe I understand what that is. It's basically if you have a bedrock of core supporters, they will basically carry you a long way. Um, They will, you know, buy your new album as a guaranteed if you're a musical mm. artist or whatever it is and that's small I mean I've not heard it phrased that way before but is what you're referring to is basically having a relatively small but truly dedicated core group of supporters is way more valuable than having you know a hundred thousand rather apathetic supporters a hundred yeah hundred thousand is that what you're referring to yeah in terms of the way the internet's gone now you know you could have a hundred thousand people that follow you for free on twitter or whatever, but they never buy anything you do. Whereas you could have 200 people that follow you on Twitter, but they will buy everything you have, and they'll send you, you know, donations, and they'll do that kind of stuff. That will, I mean, it's it's been it's Kevin Kelly who is amazing as a writer on social media. He um, he's written loads of stuff on this, and it's it's been around for a while as a theory, and it's held up, and it's got even more applicable as the internet has developed into what it is now and when you were saying you've got about a thousand people in your group that you think will potentially sponsor or give you I some would, money i would think so possibly yeah. even more i yeah. was just i was just sitting there thinking you're done like in the nicest possible way because done as in successful no as in i no no as in successful i don't know oh, how I, I, <laughs> i'm I, glad to hear that I, well i don't know i don't know how much they're going to sponsor and i don't know how much your target is because obviously those two things will have the biggest of impact course. on it but in terms of um, getting to your target, usually to become a profitable uh, Kickstarter or, in my case, Patreon, you know, you, you need to have a thousand people uh, or, or around that number. Oh, well, that's good news, then, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I actually heard this theory for the first time, first time. I think it was reading the Stuart Lee book where he said it was much better to kind of when he came back to comedy, he was saying it's much better to have a kind of a hardcore of people that will come and see you. Obviously, we're dealing in figures beyond a thousand. Mm. But rather than going for the absolute mainstream success, which by his own admittance he was back into his third cycle of having achieved, it was like every seven years he came back into fashion, as he described it, and, and accurately so. But he said, yeah, I'd rather just do a slew of nights doing 300 seats rather than one night doing 20,000, assuming he even had the option. Yes. And uh, I couldn't agree with him more. And it's the, <laughs> like, surely he gives a shit whether I agree with him or not. Yeah. I understand that. But nonetheless, I totally agree with that theory. But yeah, you are. I know you're a very savvy social media guy. And if that line is a thousand people, I would like to think that we have Funny Project have it. And then I would hope on top of that, the fact that we're going to create an entertaining go- campaign. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down making them laugh. There's no question. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that we can capture some mainstream media interest because I like to think I know a little bit about how the mainstream media works because I was in it for God knows how long enough we've got some celebrity endorsements and inclusion here and and, and quotes and you know we've we've got something happening you'll see uh, later on today and in the coming days hopefully what it amounts to but hopefully we'll be making people laugh every day with a new something and then of course once it's announced today the day this podcast goes out I can actually ask the acts there's so many creative funny minds that are not privy to this yet I can say what ideas have you got 
you know, what do you think we could do? Or what can you do to help us? It's not just about putting in the money. If you can put in your ideas or your time or mm. your connections. I'm hopeful. But as I say, I, I'm yet to assert exactly what the bottom line figure that we need to achieve is. And, and believe me, nobody's more keen than me to know what that is. I've got, I've got a, obviously, a, a fairly tight ballpark. But uh, I'd like to know myself what the final figure is. But I'm waiting for some quotations to come back in before totally. I can do so. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, no, the Stuart Lee book, um, he he didn't quote the 2003, but he quoted the, uh, a similar theory. Yeah. Which was... As was my point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember I, I came, because of my social media, I came into Kelly, Kevin Kelly's uh, sort of theory more than Stuart Lee's first. And then I read, I think that's um, uh, How I Escape My Uncertain Fate. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Yeah, he writes. He's written some amazing books on on how comedy works and stuff. I mean, are there any other books that you would recommend for uh, if if you say you're a comedy fanatic or if you're a performer or even if you're a promoter or, uh, or interested in TV? With you, it could also also be interesting in TV. There's way too many questions in there. I'm aware. For you to <laughs> to but uh, what would I recommend books on what promoting comedy? Let's let's do it through this. So on writing comedy, I don't write comedy. No, but you, you've not read any on them, or you're not? Uh, I'm not sure I have. No, I mean, I used to write comedy in the scripts that I wrote for TV shows and radio shows and stuff. Um, you know, I've technically I've written for, like, Bill Bailey and people, because um, I directed him in, in bits that were written by me that appeared on television. So, theoretically, um, I've written for Bill Bailey. Um, but no, I'm not a comedian or writer material, so I, I haven't read any books on writing jokes. I know when a joke's good or not, make no mistake, but I haven't written, uh, read a book about it. Well, let's do promoting then. I haven't read a book about promoting. <laughs> um, I don't know if there is a book about promoting. If there isn't one, maybe I should write it, but that would be massively ridiculous because I'm five years in and, and principally in the open mic scene. I, I don't know enough yet uh, you know that's something that should be right at the end of their career or should be riding the wave of utter success to write a book like that um i my media will come down to great comedy performances i mean don't get me wrong i'm a literate guy and i'm invariably reading two books at any given time one fact and one fiction i make a point of it but um as far as industry stuff goes it's pointing at the great performances and the great acts you know uh, my recommendations as far as comedy go would be like you should be listening to you know, David Cross's Shut Up You Fucking Baby and everything that Bill Hicks ever did and the entire back catalogue of George Carlin starting from the beginning to the end and listening to podcasts like Mark Maron and Joe Rogan. And, you know, Joe Rogan has such a varied range of people on his show. Some of them I wouldn't listen to because they're fucking MMA fighters and weightlifters and that kind of thing. But some of them are truly fascinating. Most of my media is... More so TV than films these days, and I barely have time. Honestly, the project takes all my time. Um, it's reading and just watching kind of the great, great um, comedy performances. But I'm, I'm much as I adore British comedy, and I hope this doesn't go against me. But um, you know, my my formative years of following comedy, other than probably Billy Connolly, were the American comics. You know, it was quite obviously your Prize and your Carlins. I think still George Carlin is the greatest comedian of all time and I'm 41 years old and just old enough to have seen Bill Hicks live when I was 19 years old at Hull University which in comedy terms is the equivalent of seeing Jimi Hendrix at the Isle of Wight cool I managed that to squeeze that claim to fame in there right at the end no no that's fair that's, I would as well I'd, I would have mentioned it way off the bat so you, uh, <laughs> so you well I've doing... worked with a lot of famous people over the years so I mean 
it, you know, it loses its allure after a while. You know, say I, was, I worked on movie shows for well over 10 years, so I've met some megastars over the time. Mm. But in comedy terms, seeing Bill Hicks live, and of course he has, you know, the legend is ever bigger because he died, you know, which is mm. obviously the parallel with Jimi Hendrix. Well, I think we're going to have to end there. Night. But <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for you, coming on. Thank you very much indeed for having me. No Thank worries. you, Simon. Thank you. That was Alfie. I, oh, I had so much fun chatting to him. We've been friends for a little while now, as in outside of comedy, and he's always been someone who's just really fascinating to talk to and just a generally interesting guy. And he's, as you said, he's lived quite a colourful life and he's always got something really interesting to say and always has almost either an opinion on or knowledge of most topics you can talk to him about. So he's really interesting, and I would recommend his night if you are in London and you're looking for a good open mic to take part in. And obviously, if his club succeeds, uh, if you start at the low level of being open mic, you might get to a paid level. Uh, you might not. Uh, it depends on how good you are. <laughs> um, that's not down to me, it's down to him. But yeah, so do support the project, um, and if you can afford to crowdfund him, please do. If you can also afford to become a patron of this podcast do uh the links are as always on the website um it really helps out both of these projects um if you want to do a one-off donation to the podcast as well don't feel like that's not appreciated i would gladly take that donation and put it back into the podcast and put it forward for budgeting stuff in the future internet content wise um if you can't afford that please review it in itunes we've been sat on 27 reviews for a while now and i'd love to get it over 30 so uh please continue to review it in itunes um, if you think someone else can get something out of this, please do share the link with them. So that's really useful, barely costs you anything, and uh, makes a huge difference to the show. Because if you can't afford it, maybe they can, and it would really help out for more donations. Um, but if not, the show is free anyway. Like it's always, it's always going to stay as free online content because that's something I heavily believe in, and I think it's a good thing. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for the support and sharing. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.